Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today for the broadcast on this Thursday. We're excited about what God is doing at Hickory Ridge Community Church, always inviting you to come and worship with us. Come and see what God is doing. Come worship together with us. We meet at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. We have a 9 o'clock drive-in service or 1030 inside. We would love to have you be our highest honor to have you come and worship with us. Well, today I want to talk to you about eight things that Jesus said about himself. You know what people say about themselves is usually what they think is most important. So I want to share with you eight things that Jesus said about himself. But before I give you those eight things that Jesus said about himself, I want to kind of give you an overview of faith within our globe, okay? I'll give you kind of an overview of who is following what kind of faith and uh, what are the major faiths that are on the planet today. So Christianity has about 2.2 billion followers. And when I say there's 2.2 billion followers within the Christian faith, in this number they have included Roman Catholics, the Protestants, the Anglicans, the Orthodox. Uh, So when you think about all these faith groups under the umbrella of Christianity, there's 2.2 billion. Now, I know we can probably debate uh, whether some of those people are truly Christians or not, uh, but for the sake of what we're studying today, uh, we think about those who are Christians, it comprises about 2.2 billion of our population. The second largest faith in the world is the Islamic faith. That is, there are 1.3 billion people who follow the Islamic faith. The Islamic faith is an interesting faith in some ways. The prophet Muhammad started this faith, and it was based on a tenet that he bore witness that there is no God but one God, and Allah is his name. And as we think about the Islamic faith, started by Muhammad, Muhammad wasn't the savior of the faith. He was the revealer of the prophet of God that was started back in AD 570. The third most populated faith is Hinduism. Uh, There are 857 million Hindus in the world. Now, just a couple of interesting facts about the Hindu faith. They don't have a founder per se. There's no tomb of where the founder is. We know where Muhammad's tomb is, uh, but there's no tomb for the founder of the Hindu faith. And we think about the Hindu faith. Uh, This is a faith that is basically very popular with Semitic type of religions. Uh, It's more of a way of life, I guess you could say, as an actual faith. It is actually the mingling of some Aryan people, uh, which would include modern-day Iran and Afghanistan and northern India, where it's probably most popular in India. And uh, it's more along the lines of those who have uh, more of an advanced civilization. And as we think about that Hindu faith, its scriptures are a combination of ritual and, and, and friendliness toward nature. They don't really have like a Bible like we do as Christians. And there are over 330 million gods or idols of the Hindu faith. Uh, The next faith that is the fourth most popular faith would be the faith of Buddha. Now, Buddha is not a god. Buddha was just an ordinary man who lived 2,500 years ago. And he saw clearly into nature and the nature of reality. And as such, Buddhist teachings are a set of rules that you follow, more along the lines of wisdom for the world to follow. 
And a bronze sepulcher of the reclining Buddha is seen as he passes by, and uh, they believe in nirvana, entering into nirvana as you're in the presence of Buddha. And so there are 382 million who follow the Buddhist faith. Then there are those who follow Confucianism, 350 million of them. And and this is a Chinese ethical and philosophical system uh, developed by the teachings of a Chinese philosopher, Confucius. Uh, China is very popular and is more along the lines of bringing together education for morality and bringing together a humanistic style of government. Uh, So the unusual thing about the Confucius faith is that it's a mingling of their government and their education. The next and the last on our list is the what we would call the Sikh faith, S-I-K-H-S, and it's pronounced Sikh. And uh, there are 26 million who follow this particular faith. And whereas the Hindus have like a caste system, uh, this is based upon a boy whose name was Nanak, and he was fascinated by religion, and he desired to explore all the mysteries of life, which eventually led him to leave his home. And, uh, but wherever he went, Guru Nanak spoke out against empty religions, against rituals, against pilgrims, uh, against the caste system, and he spoke out against the sacrifices that were offered of widows, and, and it just goes on and on. Uh, we see that the Sikh faith uh, has 26 million followers. So as we look at this, there's one other final group that has about 14 million. It's probably a group that you haven't heard of, and I'll just include this on the list. And it's called Abraham's Tomb. And Hebron is the site of an ongoing conflict between the Palestinians and the Jewish settlers and is under very tight security. And so there's a group that is actually protecting Abraham's tomb and they gather there to worship. And there's about 14 million uh, that adhere to this. Okay, so that kind of gives you a background of some of the more popular faiths in our culture today. But let's look at what Jesus said. Eight things that Jesus said about himself. Number one, uh, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. And this is found in John chapter six. I want to read this to you. And, And this is kind of profound what Jesus is saying to us. He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. I'm not fulfilling my will, but I'm to fulfill the will of my father who is in heaven. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose uh, none of those that he has given to me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up unto the last day. At this the Jews were beginning to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I am come down from heaven? So, so this is interesting that Jesus said about himself. He says, I have come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And as I have come down from heaven, I am here to give life to all those who have believed in me. And I am, in essence, God. And as we look at this, we see that he existed before he came down to the earth as Jesus. But when he came down to the earth, he became a human. Now, we cannot become God, but God became one of us. As we think about what Christ did for us, that is unbelievable. He became like us so that he could redeem us. Now, here's the second thing that Jesus said about himself. He said that he is not just a good man, he is the God-man. 
Now, this is found in Mark chapter 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, and he said, good teacher, and he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked the man, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, nobody is good except God alone. In this particular passage, we see that Jesus is the God-man, and he's acknowledging that with this man who asks about what he can do to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus is, is using a little bit of a play on words here when he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. He knew what the man was saying. The man was saying, you are God. And he said, well, how is it that you're calling me good or God? Nobody is good or God except God alone. You see, Jesus is much more than this man understood. So I don't want to encourage you, don't just reduce Jesus to a good man. Don't just call him good. He says, I am God. There is no other one who is like me. None of us can live a life that will be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus is not just a good man. He is the God man. 100% man, 100% God. Well, number three, we see that Jesus also performed miracles. Hey, we could spend the rest of the broadcast talking about all of the things that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. But here is just kind of an overview of what Jesus did in performing miracles. In John chapter 10, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. So Jesus is here saying, listen, I am set apart by my Father for a very specific task. I am told to come into this world, not to condemn the world, not to accuse the world, but I'm here to come to redeem the world. How do you know that I am really who I claim to be? You can look at the miracles that I have performed. Jesus himself says that if I do these miracles, it proves that I am who I say that I am. And if you don't believe the works, or believe my words, believe my works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And we see that they rejected him. They didn't believe him, even though they saw the miracles. They tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Isn't that amazing? They didn't believe the miracles of Jesus, and so they let's grab him, let's seize him, right? And then he escapes their grasp. I mean, to me, that would be proof right there that Jesus is God. Well, let's see, there's something else that we see about Jesus. Jesus is perfect. Hey, I want you to finish this sentence, okay? Piece of cake. Well, we all know that nobody is perfect. You see, can any of you prove me guilty of sin, said Jesus? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? There's only one man who walked the face of the earth who was perfect, and his name was Jesus. You see, Jesus is not a, a best of the best category. He's in a category all by himself. He says that he is sinless. He says that he is truthful. He says, which one of you can convict me of a sin? Why do you not believe me? If you can't convict me of a sin, you should believe me. By nature and by choice, none of us can say we are without sin. No one is perfect. Jesus claims to be without sin. Does anyone have any accusation of sin against Jesus himself? Jesus also said that he is God. You know, several years ago, I was serving as a youth pastor, and 
One of my teenagers called me in, and she was in a panic. Oh, she was all worked up. She was sharing her faith, and she was thrown into a, a situation where a theological curveball was given to her, and she didn't know how to respond. She was told that Jesus never claimed to be God, that the Bible never said that Jesus is God, that that whole thing is folklore, a legend made up by the followers of Jesus. I want to encourage you with these words. Never trust somebody who does not read the Bible to know what's in the Bible. So many times people say, well, that's not in the Bible, or this is in the Bible. Too often people say things that are in the Bible that are not in the Bible, or they say something is not in the Bible that really is in the Bible. Know the Bible. Keep it so that you won't lose your mind. You see, the reason we believe that Jesus is the only God is because he openly declared to be God. Jesus Christ is God. He is the only God. By the grace of God, he is my God. We talked earlier about Buddhist and Confucius and Muhammad. No other major religious founder has ever claimed to be God. Now, if I told you I was God today, you would rightly write me off as crazy, as a heretic, completely insane, or maybe both. But look what Jesus said in John 10. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are stoning you. Now, don't miss this. He says, we are stoning you, not for any good work that you have done, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, not only did Jesus say that he is God, but those who were opposed to him were wanting to stone him because he claimed to be God. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus himself said this, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That word Almighty stands for God. Jesus acknowledges the fact that he indeed is God. Well, there's a sixth thing that Jesus said about himself. And Jesus says, I can forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, we read this, that Jesus saw their faith. And this is a story about a, a paralyzed man who came to Jesus and, and wanted to be healed. And Jesus saw the friends, they were willing to tear open a roof and drop this man down into the hole in that roof so that he could be healed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man who was paralyzed, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why didn't Jesus just say, son, you're healed? Jesus was in essence saying the same thing. When Jesus forgives you of your sins, you are healed. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, Jesus was able to forgive that man's sin, and not only was he spiritually healed, he was physically healed as well. David understood that sin is always against God. If that sin is against God, it is God who can forgive us. Jesus was claiming to be God when he was able to forgive sins. In Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only, God, have I sinned. You see, when we sin, we sin against each other, but ultimately, we sin against God. It is a violation of God's character. Every time we sin, we violate his character, and God alone is the one who can forgive us. Jesus said, who can forgive sins but God alone? He was proving that he is God. 
Well, here's the seventh thing that Jesus said. Jesus said that he is the only way to heaven. One time I was talking to a man, he was all upset with me, and he says, well, you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and you're always going around telling everybody that Jesus is the way to heaven. I said, you know, I do believe that, but I'm not the one who said that. It is Jesus who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Now, this is awful exclusive. It's awful controversial for some and unpopular with others, but I must tell you, Jesus is exclusive, but he's also inclusive. Jesus invites you. You see, there is one door, but everyone is welcome. All are welcome to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let's imagine, and and this is strictly pretend, okay, uh, that this week you walk into a local restaurant and you see me sitting at a table having a candle-lit dinner with a woman who is not my wife. You come up to me and you ask me, well, who is this woman that I am spending the evening with? And I said to you, well, I'm on a date. And you say, what about your wife? I respond by saying, oh, well, I still love her too. You walk away angry and disgusted. You decide that somebody needs to tell my wife, and so you call her and you tell her. Well, imagine I come home from my date, and you have already told my wife, and she meets me at the door and says, Hi, honey, did you have a nice time on your date? And I say to her, You know that I have been on a date, and you don't even care. And she just comes up to me, and she kisses me on the cheek, and she says, Oh, I love you, even if you do date other people. Now imagine how absurd that would be. As soon as I walked in the front door for my date, I would be fearing for not only my marriage, but for my very life. You see, I can choose to believe that my wife would be happy for me to have a candlelight dinner with another woman, but the truth of the matter is that my real wife, she isn't going to put up with that. God is jealous of our love as well. You see, when you think about how much God loves us and all that he's done for us, he doesn't want that love to be shared with anybody else. We are told that in the Old Testament, that would have no other gods before him. God alone is our Savior. God alone is our Redeemer. There is one God. As you think about what Christ has done for us, Jesus, last but not least, said he's alive. I love how it was put in Mark chapter 8 as we were recording what Jesus began to do, and he began to teach them, and he began to gather his disciples together, and he told them in Mark 8, 31, He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and by the teachers of the law, that he might be killed and after three days rise again. Oh, what does Jesus say here? Jesus says, I will suffer, I will die, but I'll be back. Proves that everything he said is true. Jesus is alive. Over two billion people Celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday. When you think about what he's done for us, he rose again. You know, the garden tomb was discovered by a British soldier back in 1883. It is a site where most Protestant Christians believe that Jesus Christ was buried. It is a site that is only a few feet away from his crucifixion. In the tomb of Christ that is located in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it's located outside of the old city walls north of the Damascus Gate. The garden tomb is considered as an authentic burial site because of the skull-shaped cliff on the tomb. 
Now, I know we're on radio and you can't see the picture that is before me, but it's a picture of a, a hewn out tomb that does look like a face of the skull. I also notice in this picture that that grave is empty. That tomb is no longer having anybody inside it. In John 19, 41, it says, At that place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. You see, no one has transformed the world more like Jesus. He has divided our history into two. As you think about the largest and the most popular religious holiday, it's Easter followed by Christmas, both celebrating the death and birth and resurrection of Christ. Well, here's the conclusion. We need to be saved. Every single one of us need to be saved. Now imagine that you're sailing out in the ocean and a great storm hits. The waves eventually overwhelm your boat and you're tossed into the sea. Thankfully, you had your cell phone in your hand and so you you take your cell phone out and you are relieved to see that you have a signal. But the battery warning comes up. You realize you have just enough juice for one call. With that one call, who are you going to call to ask for help? What are you going to say when you get through on that one call? If you make contact with somebody, are you going to ask them for food because you're getting hungry out in the ocean? Are you going to ask your boss for a raise at work because you need a bigger house? Are you going to ask somebody to marry you because you really want to be married? No, the request you will make is this. Somebody, please save me. Somebody come and save me. The reason we don't always ask the question is because we don't realize we're drowning. We don't understand that we need a Savior. We think that death is always going to happen to somebody else. So let's keep things pleasant. Let's talk about sweet things and things that are not going to get us upset. Not only do we need to be saved, but the tragedy is we can't save ourselves. You see, almost everyone thinks they're going to heaven And if you ask them why they believe that they're going to go to heaven, they're going to say, well, I'm a pretty good person. You see, it's hard for us to accept that we need help. We want to save ourselves. You know, shortly after the movie, The Passion of Christ was released, comedian Bill Maher was talking about it on his show. Now, to his credit, he said that it was a moving movie and it challenged him to think, but here was the conclusion he had. Bill Maher says, you know, I just don't get it. The thought of someone else cleansing me of my sins is ridiculous. I don't need anyone to cleanse me. I can cleanse myself. And at that, the crowd burst into an applause. You see, I understand why we want to believe that, but what if that's not true? In 2007, 60 Minutes interviewed New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. As I'm recording this broadcast, it's right before the Super Bowl. And as you're listening to this broadcast, it's right after the Super Bowl. So I don't know who won the Super Bowl, but I know it's Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl. By the age of 28, Tom Brady had already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that sets him apart from the all-time NFL quarterback greats. At the time of this recording, Tom Brady is preparing for the 10th Super Bowl game. But if we go back to 2007, 60 Minutes interviewed him. And in this interview, Brady spoke about his hunger. He said this, 
Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Maybe that's where you are today. You're looking at your life and says, it's got to be more to life than this. Not too long ago, I received an email And in this email, I was asked to respond to why death is such a big factor and why death is so important for us to understand. I responded with this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another with these words. That is the word of God. You see, we need a savior that is bigger than our problems. We need a savior that is able to forgive us of our sins. We need a savior that is able to bring meaning to our existence. Our purpose begins in God, and our purpose ends in God. As you think about your relationship with Christ today, you need others to encourage you. The first step is understanding that Christ loves you, that he died on that cross for you, and he made salvation available for you. But secondly, you need to connect with other believers. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has nobody to help him up. I want to encourage you to get hooked up into a church, a church that believes and teaches the Bible, a church where you can grow in your faith and where you can serve. I'd love to see you at Hickory Ridge Community Church. You're always welcome. God bless you now. Thank you for listening to the broadcast today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.